If you have your Bible, uh, turn with me to James 2, beginning in verse 14. I want to talk with you today about justification by faith. Very, very, very important uh, doctrinal uh, topic uh, for us today. Let's look together at God's Word. People have asked me what uh, translation I use, and I, I like the New King James. Uh, I don't know if you like that one, but uh, I find it uh, very helpful. Let's look at verse 14 and following. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warm and filled, but do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God. You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac, his son, on the altar? You see that faith was working together with his works, and by works faith was made perfect. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works, and not by faith alone. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead as well. Justification by faith is one of the primary, key, most important uh, doctrines of the New Testament. It was the battle cry of the Reformation. Everybody was talking about uh, not indulgences. Indulgences was where they dreamed up a system whereby you could kind of pay your way uh, to be before God and in his grace. And that was wrong. And that was pointed out during the days of the Reformation. It's by faith, not by indulgences. Martin Luther got up and tacked his 95 theses on the door at Wittenberg. It was the center of Paul's theology, and it is the basic assumption of every New Testament sermon, all the way from that day until today. We also believe that when a man or a woman is once saved, we believe that they are always saved. Otherwise, the term eternal life doesn't mean anything. It's a farce. It means nothing. If it's not permanent, if it doesn't stay with us for eternity. We really believe with earnestness that a saving faith is an abiding faith. 
We find in John 10, 28, that it is the promise of our Lord that no one can ever pluck you out of the hollow of his hand. It just can't be done. Once you are adopted into his family, it is permanent. It is eternal. The mother was crying when the preacher got there. Her 38-year-old son had just committed suicide after a wild, sin-filled life. He had been vulgar. He had been crude. He had been dishonest with everybody and everything. Neither he nor his family had been to church in over 20 years. But when the preacher got there, the mother said, You know, my son was in that revival that Brother Jones did when he was just a little boy. And he trusted and believed in Christ. And we believe in once saved, always saved. 1 John 2, 4 says, He that says, I know Jesus, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar. And the truth is not in him. You have to do more than just say that you were saved. John is saying that you have to live like it. You have to kind of live in that modality throughout your life. If you're a Christian, it will show. It will be obvious. There was a businessman in the community that was dishonest. He made no bones about that. Yet he excused himself with this comment. He said, I know I'm not living a good life, but I'm not trusting in my own merits for salvation. I'm trusting in the merits of Christ. Liberty there had degenerated into license. When grace is cheap, it's not God's grace. If you look on the front of the uh, bulletin this morning, there's a quote by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Uh, When I was in seminary, all the guys were reading Bonhoeffer. He was the most popular uh, fellow on the the circuit. Everybody was reading all of his uh, books. Bonhoeffer taught us so well the cost of discipleship. He spoke out against the Nazis in Germany. He joined the underground movement against the Nazis. He let his light shine. He let his ministry reach out and touch real lives and do real things. And he was martyred as he gave his life. The cost of discipleship is very, very high. It's a high price. To play. You know, sometimes we lose our job because we're sharing our faith. And, you know, if you do that a number of times, a lot of people are going to get really irritated. You know, if you are a Christian in your neighborhood and they have these block parties and you don't cuss and you don't get drunk and uh, you don't do this, you don't do that, uh, you begin to come under. you know, scrutiny and then condemnation by all the folks that are around. You know, it it just comes. 
Justification is by faith. And, so, and sometimes faith is very, very difficult. Very difficult. The pious grocer on Sunday morning would send his son downstairs to the grocery store. They lived in an apartment above the grocery store. And after he had been down there for a while, the father would yell downstairs, down the stairwell, and he'd say, Son, have you watered the ketchup and the milk? And the son would yell back to his dad, Yes, Dad. And after a little time had passed, he would yell down to the son, Have you changed the weights to our favor? And the son would yell back up uh, to his dad, Yes, Dad. And then after a little time passed, the father yelled downstairs, Hurry up, come on up here and and, uh, get dressed, we're going to church. Well, uh, the Apostle James saw a lot of this kind of Christianity in his day. He saw a lot of it. And it prompted him to write this chapter in his book. Now, this chapter that uh, I read a lot of this morning is one of the most controversial chapters in all the Bible because it puts a tremendous emphasis on what you do, on your works, on how you live. It's not just saying something, but it's living something. And James really presses that point. James says, there is really no such thing as faith without works. And the great scholars of the faith, down through all these years, have sided with him. If a man or a woman really believes... He or she cannot refrain from practicing it, from living it out, from being involved in that uh, kind of a life stance in every situation that they're in. People can figure us out in pretty short order of time. I mean, it's not a big uh, mystery. You know, after a while, the neighbors get to know you, whether you want them to or not. After a while, uh, the people at the club or the people at the uh, softball team or the people that play golf with you, after a while, incidentally, more people cheat at golf. It's just unbelievable. (laughs) I played with some people one time that cheated. I couldn't believe it. They were kicking the ball, you know, every, every once in a while. We live out our faith. Uh, If we have great faith, it shows. Everybody can see it. Everybody knows it's there. Everybody knows something about you that speaks of your witness and your ministry. If you have about that much faith, I'm holding these as close as I can. If you have that much faith and very few works, then they know that as well. One time, a man in my uh, church died, and I had his funeral, and he was kind of up in the business where he worked, and a lot of people from uh, his work came to the funeral. And I got up, and I told about all the things that he had done in the church through the years and how he had been such a pillar of the church and an outstanding man. 
I had about five people come up to me after the service and say, you know, I didn't even know he went to church. I didn't even know he was a Christian. And I went home that night, and I was puzzled. Uh, you know, it seems like that light should have shown where he worked as well as at the church. Faith is the source of all of our work for Christ, all of it. And our works are the only real evidence of what we possess in our hearts. Many times uh, in my life, after a graveside service, some people in the family will come up to me and will say, Preacher, this, this person that was buried right over here, it's my Uncle Ned. And he was a great man. He was a pillar of the church. He loved the Lord. He prayed all the time. Led a lot of people to Jesus. Just a great man. And then he would take me over here and he'd say, that was uh, my Aunt Mary. And she was so godly. She led the women's group at our church. And she was just a great, just a wonderful, wonderful Christian. Over there, that's my cousin John. He was a stinker. <laughs> he was sorry. And we all knew he was sorry. And, and that's my Aunt Gertrude that uh, was buried there. And she was a blabbermouth. She, uh, she gossiped all the time. Just all the time. You know, if you called her phone, it was busy. Because she was talking about somebody to somebody else. Well, uh, what do you suppose people are going to say about us after we die? Are they going to say, gosh, I didn't even know they were a Christian? Or are they going to say, the Lord now is face to face as one of his best servants? Is that what they're going to say? Well, a faith without works is, is just a mere lip faith. Are we regular in our Bible study? Do we support our church with our time? You know, it's going to take some work to set up for tonight's picnic. It's going to take some work after everybody's gone to clean it up, get everything back in place, everything like it should be. Do, do, we, do we support our church with our time and our talents? You know, it just irritates me no end when I know that somebody in the congregation has a great voice and they're not in the choir for crying out loud. What's wrong? You know, you ought to be in the choir. Jim's starting this uh, thing for the Christmas music. If you have a good voice, come and join them this Wednesday night and be a part of our choir. We have a great choir, a lot of great people, and you'd love it. You'd love it. Jim is fun. He is not a stick in the mud. He is fun. And uh, you would enjoy uh, being a part of that. Do we support uh, our church by our time and our talents and our, and, our, and our tithes? You know, we missed a Sunday. And that, of course, it will hurt us financially. So we hope that everybody will be faithful and and will bring their tithes and offerings, as was prayed in our prayer this morning, to make up for that lost week. Have we invited people to our church? You know, I, 
I hope that you've gotten to know your neighbors, and if you're noticing, of course, that they never go anywhere on Sunday morning, why don't, I mean, it couldn't hurt. Why don't you invite them to come and be a part of, of what we're trying to do, how we're trying to reach out and help people and, and be, be there for people when things go wrong in their life? Do we just talk a good story or do we live out a good life? Faith uh, without works is really not faith at all. The scripture says in the text we read this morning that that faith is dead. I don't know any other way to prove our faith other than what we do, our works, what we're about, what we're involved in, what we take care of. You know, I am so proud of the trustees of our church. They have worked so hard these last two weeks. If you're a trustee here, would you stand up for just a minute? I'd really appreciate that. Would you just stand up for a minute? All the trustees, would you do that? Let's give these guys a big hand. Hey, if we had to pay for all that they did, this would be the last Sunday. Uh, I mean, those guys really, really help us in so many wonderful ways. You know, I can profess all day long that I am a great, great baseball player. But until I get out there and hit a few and catch a few, I haven't proven anything. I want you to do more than just say you're a great Christian. We... We want you to, to really live the life of a great Christian. That's what James is talking about. Your works. Your works follow you. Your works ought to be, you know, kind of top notch. A tree is known by its fruit. What is known right now about your past life? Uh, were there some periods in there when it wasn't probably as bright as it should have been? Or was it kind of sporadic, you know, here for a while, there for a while, you know, just not no definite line of continuation in lifestyle? Do people know that Christ is the Savior because of your life? Whether you are dealing with the roots of the Christian life, which is faith, or the fruits of the Christian life, which is work. Our works, the totality of our being, should tell the same story, a continuing story about what Christ has done in our life and in our hearts. Christ is our Lord. He is our Master. He is our Savior. And we really want to serve Him in our everyday walk. That's what James is talking about. We are justified by faith in our works follow they follow that the six-year-old girl was in the children's home she had been there most of her short life it was not a sad place but it was not a happy place either Uh, most of the girls that were there you know didn't really have anywhere else to be and so that's where they were and they knew that and 
And, it, you know, it was difficult sometimes when they would go to the mall and they would see other families all together and having a wonderful time. And they were with just a group of girls from the, from the home. Well, she had seen other girls from there that were adopted. And when the girl got adopted, they would just smile and they would be so excited. I mean, it was just ecstasy to get adopted. And she'd seen that a number of times, and it just made such a tremendous difference. You know, somebody was opening their home up to this girl from the children's home, and she was so happy, and they looked like they were so happy. And, and so this little girl, she, she'd seen that a number of times. She had watched it as they opened the doors to their house and to their heart in those homes, and, and then the girl from the home would go in and be the newest addition to that family. One day a family came in and was kind of looking at her, and that had never happened before, and they came over and talked to her for a while. And then they came back the next week, and they talked to her for a while. And the next week they came back and they said, do you think you would enjoy living with us? We'd, we'd like to adopt you. And the little girl, you know, just, you can imagine, uh, her heart started skipping a beat. She was so happy, it was unbelievable. And she thought, finally, finally, it's my turn, finally. After all these, it's my turn. And she was just so excited. Well, they adopted her. The house was nice. The dog was friendly. The school that uh, she went to was nice. The kids were nice. Everything was good. About two weeks after being there, she came home from school one day, and all of her stuff was in the car. And they had packed her up, and they asked her if she would to get into the car. So she got in. And they drove back to the children's home, and, and they let her out. And it just broke her heart. She was just uh, crushed. Um, on the way to the children's home, they had said, you know, things just aren't working out. And from her point of view, they were working out better than it ever worked out in her whole life. I mean, she thought it was the greatest thing in the whole world that was going on. But they said it wasn't working out. So they left her at the doorstep of the children's home. The same thing happened a year later. A family came and talked to her and visited with her and came back and talked with her and visited with her. And then they adopted her. And they took her home. And same deal. Nice house, nice dog. Dog with big ears. You can't beat that. Uh, everything was good. About two weeks after she had gotten there, she came home from school and all her stuff was in the car. And they took her back to the children's home. And she was just crushed. She was crying. I mean, she just, she just couldn't hardly stand. It was just unbelievable that this all was happening to her. But it was. Well, time passed. She was nine years old, and she knew, this was no secret, the older girls hardly ever got adopted. They just stayed there until they finished high school. 
And so she knew that the chances of her being adopted were about zero. But one day, a couple came in, and they were talking to her a little bit, and they kind of went around and talked to five or six of the girls, and they came back around and talked to her again. And she enjoyed the conversation, and she thought they were nice. And they came back later, and they said, we'd like to adopt you if you, if you think that would be something that you'd like to do. And she said, it'd be fine with me. She was gun-shy by that time. You know, she'd been crushed twice. She didn't want that to happen again. But she thought, well, you know. So she went with them to their house. It was the nicest house she'd been in. It was a really nice dog. It was a, uh, a house that had a room, obviously, for a, a girl, a little girl. And it was beautiful. It was the most beautiful room she had ever seen for a girl. And she thought, you know, I hope I can stay here at least a month. She said, if I could stay here for a month, that would really, really be great. The people said they were Christians. She didn't really know what that meant. She'd never been in a Christian home, but she thought, well, you know, I can go along with most anything. So she, you know, she just kind of joined in with whatever was going on. The adoption went through. Everything was in order. They had signed all the papers, all of that. Uh, This family was different. They prayed at meals. And either the mother or the father would come and sort of tuck her in at night, and they'd say another prayer with her every night. And she kind of got into that. And she thought, well, that's nice. And she really started to love these people. After about three weeks, she thought to herself, you know, it's going to be any day in here. I'm going to go home, and they're going to have it all packed up, and I'm going back to the children's home. She was in her bed, and she was kind of trembling. And as her father came in to tuck her in, she was crying by that time. And the new father said, well, darling, what is wrong? What is wrong? And she looked up at him and said, are you going to take me back to the children's home? He said, no. We're not going to take you back to the children's home. You have put your trust and your faith in us, and we have given you our love. You're going to be a part of this family for eternity. You're going to be a part of this family forever. Well, I think that's a a very touching story. Every time I think about that story, It touches my heart. I have great news for you this morning. You know, I never know everybody that's here. We have different visitors every week, and we always love to have visitors. We're so glad that you're here. We might have somebody here this morning that's not a Christian. I have great, great news. The Lord wants to adopt you. You. He wants to adopt you. You offer to him your trust and your faith, 
and he offers to you his love. And you're a part of the family of God forever. Forever. And nobody can pluck you out of the Father's hand. Nobody. If you're in the house this morning and you've never been adopted by God, I hope and pray that you would do that this morning. All you have to do is just sort of come up to the front here and say, you know, I've thought about it, prayed about it, I've wondered about it. I think I'll settle it today. If you're here, you've been visiting with us for a period of time. You're already a Christian. But you need a a church home. You need a place where you'll be loved and missed when you're not there. Well, I hope and pray that if there's anyone here today that would want to make a decision for Christ that you wouldn't let any force of evil hold you back, that you would kind of set that aside and you would dedicate yourself to taking a real stand for Christ today. I hope and pray that you would do that. I'm going to stand right down here at the front. We're going to sing a song. And if the Lord leads, you just slip out, come and slip forward and take a stand for Christ. Let's stand together.